So like entrepreneurship can be a fun, fun side thing and it doesn't need to be more than that. And if you want it to be more than that, use every opportunity in your life to learn because entrepreneurship is about acquiring knowledge and then monetizing that knowledge. Well, hello and welcome to the Leverage 3 podcast. This is the show that helps you leverage the talent and tactics of high performers. I'm Craig Shoemaker and today's guest is Jordan Parker. Jordan helps non-technical founders market, automate, and scale businesses so good that people fight to pay high ticket prices. Jordan, welcome to the show. Hey man, lovely to hear your voice again. I still love it way more than I love mine. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, funny you should say that because I just uh, did a podcast uh, with, with a friend of mine and I was just like, if I could just have your pipes, if I could just sound like you, that would be awesome. So <laughs> I think everyone who plays with their voice in like a professional setting has that, but one thing that I can say to past me and everyone else who hasn't done that before, it gets way better. Now right. I can tolerate my voice now. I kind of, I'm okay with it. I can't say I love it, but I'm okay with it. Right. I used to hate it. So it yeah. gets a lot better. Well, I like, I, I like listening to you. I, th I think it's a lot of fun. And you, you've recently done something that people talk a lot about dream about, but very rarely do they actually do. And, and that's gone from being a, a successful, have a successful career into jumping into the waters and becoming an entrepreneur, if not again. And I just kind of wanted to dive into the story uh, with you a little bit. So like, what's that transition been like for you? Oh, so it's a very, very fun transition. One thing that I've noticed online is people are like, you shouldn't ever have a job and that sucks and jobs are horrible. I don't like that approach. I do think that jobs can be amazing. And I do think that having a normal nine to five and just working there and then going home to your family is perfect for a lot of people. For me, a job was a way to learn more because when it comes to business, a lot of the high level concepts are not accessible to anyone starting out. Years ago, I had those startups and a lot of the lessons I learned were very basic because we were starting out and we felt very early on. Uh, but now I, I come armed with a lot of knowledge that comes from enterprise companies, knowledge that it would take me like 10 years in business to actually start exploring. And I now have it day one, which is insane. It is very, very expensive knowledge. People pay millions to get that. And I just start out and I have it, which is I still, I think. Well, and so drawing from that experience, what are like one or two things you could pick out that you've learned from your, you know, your corporate career that's helped you as you've launched your own business? The biggest one, the biggest one is communication. People don't talk to one another, <laughs> really. Like genuinely people don't talk to one another. And that is, it's crazy how big this problem is. Like, I thought that this was a problem with me and my brother when we were kids. And then I, I figured, hey, maybe that's not just me and my brother. Maybe it's a problem that, uh, you know, teams have because we're engineers. We're just nerds and we just slap on keyboards and so on. And I can insult engineers because I've been doing it for 15 years. Right. Uh, but Same here. Same in here. general, <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. But I just thought that that was, that was me and my weirdness and, uh, you know, people like me that chose to, uh, you know, live their lives behind a keyboard. 
But then I kind of saw that that wasn't the case even when I became a leader. So I became a leader and so of course engineers were not talking to one another, sure. But then leaders were not also talking to one another. I was like, what's going on? And it turns out that in every level of any company that I have seen, people just don't talk enough. Communication is the biggest issue and the biggest bottleneck in pretty much any business. And the biggest transition that I have seen personally in the last, let's say, 15, 20 years of management and leadership has been, you know, the Simon Sinek transition of, of people just uh, becoming the forefront of how we operate and communication becoming more and more important. And the most successful leaders I know are just the people who are most consistently pushing for better communication. Mm. That one single skill, if I can call it, because it's like, it's not a hard thing to do. It's just you have to be consistent and very, very annoying at times, but you just have to do it a lot. Those like people who do that the most tend to become the best leaders. And this has been shocking. And I have, I would have otherwise spent years to actually find that out because it was a lot of hard-earned lessons in the job world. Luckily, with no risk to me, to myself, because right. you know, as an employee, it's pretty safe. Yeah. Uh, but I can see how I would have personally felt at least five businesses before I actually understood that very difficult lesson. So, do you see that playing out with either vendors that you hire, or employees that you're taking on, or talking to your customers? Like, what does that look like now for you? It's a big part of the company. Like, it's. It, the company is Parker Labs, of course, Par and Parker comes from Spider-Man because Spider-Man is awesome. <laughs> uh, but uh, it's a big part of the spirit of the company. I haven't done through the whole, you know, mumbo jumbo of setting up company values and all that. Right. That I believe finds you and not the other way around. If you just gather up to find out your values, I've seen only mediocre results from th those kinds of exercises. But it's certainly one of the things that I live by. And I apply that to clients and I apply that to my currently only employee. But what really happens is that one with the employee, I see extreme levels of trust. And the employee is Eva. She's an amazing person. Uh, and one of the biggest reasons I hired her because was because her last company didn't communicate at all. And it was insanely bad because of that. Like everyone was like everyone was skipping beats in communication. No one was talking to one another. And pretty much everyone hated it. And just not being there is a big step for me. Like it's a big, big goal for me to just never get even close to that. And when it comes to clients, like I I'm talking to a lot of entrepreneurs lately. A lot of them. And a lot of them are kids. They're like 20 year old. They just started business. They're all broy and, and ready to do stuff <laughs> and to hustle, which is great. I really respect that. I think that this is super commendable. When I was, when I was 20, I didn't know anything. I couldn't right. like understand half of the things that those guys were, uh, are currently doing. It's mostly guys. I would like to see more women entrepreneurs. That would be amazing. There's some amazing ones that I follow. I, ha I have a massive list on Twitter, which I constantly update with just female entrepreneurs, because I really, really want to support that. But still, they are not good at communication yet. 
the those kids they just haven't lived long enough it's it's not their fault like it's something that you build with a lot of time and a lot of practice right and starting out in business being you know super aggressive being super arrogant helps a lot because the biggest problem starting out is sales and those traits tend to work a little bit in sales at mm. least a little bit right uh, and from my clients from what i've seen from them they really enjoy not having that because once you see that a couple of times, it's very persuasive. Like it's very easy to fall into that. It's it's like they feel they feel like the secure and safe choice because of all that conf confidence oozing out of them. Right, and that's amazing. But people have been burned by that because it is easier to seem confident than to be skilled. Right, and there are a lot of people who seem confident on calls. There seem to be. Uh, and they they don't actually deliver. This is what I've heard from clients. Hey, this is Craig, and I wanted to take a second to invite you to join me on Twitter where I talk about the interviews with all my amazing guests and where I help you build a lucrative online course business. So look me up by my name, Craig Shoemaker, and make sure to say hi. Uh, and so in, in, yeah. in the delving into uh, skills and confidence, like I would imagine there's this huge... A part of your story and and this this journey that you've taken, there's probably a huge emotional shift that had to happen within you to go from like, okay, I have this secure job, I've probably got benefits in, involved, and now I'm going to go out on my own. Like, what what was that like for you making that decision and then finally pulling the trigger to say, all right, I'm doing this, I'm I'm going for it. Yeah, so a big chunk of that is just having the security to move forward in mm. in many cases i see people who are like let's just do it like it doesn't matter if you fail or you will just do it i did that as a kid and like i i sucked at it obviously because <laughs> i was not experienced that's well, normal kid. yeah like, I mean, you, you have know. to suck it first uh, but uh i i sucked at it but what really happened is I I was not ready to go the full length of this because I was not feeling secure. And it was typically not me worrying about myself because I don't do that too much, uh, but I worried about everyone around me and I could see how this affected them. And typically when I, when I was in business, there was at least one other person with me. And uh, just seeing one person being affected by that lack of security just really bugs me. And I can't really stand it for too long so this career right now and i'm in bulgaria bulgaria is not a very prosperous country and being an engineer here the salaries are insanely high for the current standard of living the uh and it's not that difficult of a job really like it is difficult to get into it's difficult to practice all of that but at the end of the day you're not in a mind doing something super difficult and uh endangering your life you're just on a keyboard like you're endangering your back that's let's be fair and, and your wrist a little <laughs> bit right. but besides that you know uh minor risk to your health in which is preventable uh you can you can enjoy a life of relative peace safety and you know if you are in not that well of a developed country a very very nice lifestyle and I managed to pretty much 
get all the consumerism out of me by just living through it. I know a lot of people were like, yeah, you need to save and all that. But my parents were not super, super, you know, rich. They didn't, they, they couldn't buy me uh, any fancy things, to be fair. And I really wanted some of those toys and gadgets and so on. So I pretty much bought everything. And besides cars, I just don't like cars. Uh, but <laughs> which is a good thing because they're very expensive. Right. Uh, but... <laughs> But in general, I, I basically bought all the toys and gadgets, uh, you know, you can imagine. And now I'm over that. So my expenses are not super high. Like I need a very, very good laptop. As an engineer, mm -hmm. I can't stand having a slow machine. I need a decent screen. Uh, but hopefully I'll, I'll be able to get the Apple Vision thing and get the like a bunch of virtual displays and solve that. I've been waiting on that technology for 10 years, I think. Like I started making AR uh, applications and advertisements 10 years ago. Right. And I've been very excited to get my hands on something that works. Hopefully that one does. But, so, but in general, like if I have a laptop and a screen, I'm, I'm fine. I don't right. need much else. So, yeah. In, in terms of having just gone through this process, if someone's thinking about making a decision like this, what sort of advice would you give them? I think that most people who are wanting to be entrepreneurs and are currently working whatever job are half-assing their work and using their entrepreneurship as, a, as an excuse. I don't think you should do that. In my experience, people who aimed to be amazing in whichever job they had, it could be the worst job in the world, did more, learned more and grew more as people. And people who grow more and are more grown up and know more things tend to have better and more successful businesses. So if you're just using entrepreneurship to not do a good job at work, I would suggest stopping and rethinking that. If you use entrepreneurship as a way to re reset after work, which is the weirdest thing, I used to be an indie game developer and indie game development was you know, doing your day job and going through a full work day and then going home and, you know, getting crazy about a game that doesn't work because you're trying to make something massive with very little resources. So, like, entrepreneurship can be a fun, fun side thing and it doesn't need to be more than that. And if you want it to be more than that, use every opportunity in your life to learn because entrepreneurship is about acquiring knowledge and then monetizing that knowledge. If you can't learn in whichever place, you probably will have a place and, and then you're going to struggle. But if you can learn anywhere, you'll be an amazing entrepreneur. At least in my experience, that has been true. Hmm. I think that's a really good and interesting distinction about being able to, to focus and double down on who you are and where you execute. Because I would imagine if you allow yourself to get distracted as an employee on your entrepreneurial ship, uh, entrepreneurial activities as an entrepreneur, when you don't have some of those safeguards around you, there's probably a good chance that you'll get even more distracted and even less effective. Yeah. I've been through that. <laughs> the, my, my, my second startup, I, I got off my job and I had a, a bit of, of savings. I had like 10 K in the bank and I was not spending much, so I could spend it all on a startup and had like eight months of runway or something like that. Right. 
And I decided, hey, it's going to be super easy having all the time in the world for myself to just do <laughs> entrepreneurial stuff. And then it turned out it's not super easy because I had all the time in the world, zero restrictions and zero accountability. Right. And that was hard. So a big part of the allure of entrepreneurship is autonomy. You get to be free. You get to decide what you're going to do specifically. But too much autonomy is hard. You need to build up to that. You need to build the muscle so you can handle that. Because at first, pretty much there is no reason to be organized. There is no reason to, to handle your life in a specific way. Because whatever you do, you'll, you'll get some results that, that are kind of okay. Mm -hmm. But as you want to take more and more out of every single day, you need some level of organization. Uh, and I've seen this in two flavors. The first flavor is uh, myself. I am extremely chaotic. I need to organize myself so I don't do whatever uh, <laughs> I, I want. Like I, and maybe everything I want would be productive because I tend to get obsessed about the things I do. And that's very useful. But still, it's productive, but it's not focused in the, in the singular direction I want to move into, which is a problem. So I need to work to focus myself and focus my efforts into one direction and not into 10 directions. This is option one, category one of people that I've interacted with the most. Category two is you have people who are extremely good at execution, but they don't like planning. So they don't plan <laughs> or, or, they, uh, or they don't like planning after a certain level. And that level typically is something above the tactical, like they like the tactical stuff, they plan it and then they start executing. But when it comes to the big picture things, mm. the big problems that really need solving so the direction and the course is correct, they don't do that. So there, having that frame and those restrictions really helps. In game development, something that I did for almost a decade, the biggest issue and the biggest innovation came from restrictions. No restrictions meant people just went into, a, uh, into one direction and just running that in that direction until they got out, out of money. And typically, they, those people don't finish a game. And people who have a lot of restrictions typically create an actual game. And some of the most innovative games in the last two decades were made from companies that did not have the money to create the game they wanted to. They mm. made the game they could. Interesting. So, yeah, I well, and... Much has been said about how restrictions and limited amount of options are really the fuel for creativity and, and give you the chance to, to do something you wouldn't otherwise. So in like the day in the life of, of what your life is now, what does that look like for you to make sure that you're, you're working on income generating uh, you know, tasks or dealing with the big picture? Like how are you doing that in real world? In the real world right now, it is very simple, to be fair. Uh, it's very simple for me. Uh, I'm not sure it's going, it's going to be for everyone, but I've spent pretty much my entire career thinking about business, not thinking about my job, but thinking about business in general. So every time I had access to any information about any business, I took it and I learned from it. So... Right now, I have a model of how business works, of how business generates capital, of how business should spend capital and so on. So I have a reasonable understanding of how it all works. 
is is it absolutely 100% correct? Absolutely not. There are mistakes that I that I made and I'm going to be correcting in the next years. But it is reasonably good. It works. Like if I made a business by that, it's going to make some money. We'll see if, if it's going to be a lot. But it's going to be at least profitable. Now, having that in mind, I've broken down the business into several components. The biggest component that I can't do right now, I can't do well, is a component that I've never did, which is acquiring new customers. I don't know how to do that. I've been learning how to do that in the in the past couple of months since I actually created the the business as it stands right now. But this is by far my weakest link. If mm. I can s- solve this part of the business, a lot of the other things I already have experience on. I have picked an area of business in which I have the expertise. I can help people growing a company because I did it. I can help people automate their their software and build funnels and do all the techy stuff because I did it. It's so much simpler than actually writing the software, like operating the software is so much easier. <laughs> right. Uh, so a lot of the components about fulfilling the the, the, the clients is, are, are there. I can do them really, really well because I did them for many years. And because I have so much of the puzzle solved, that leaves my entire focus on how do I get clients? How do I win clients? Just now, like just in the past month, I have been not researching because researching is kind of a, it it feels passive as a word to me, uh, but actively doing stuff in several areas. So one of them is obviously social marketing, like building a social presence, making sure that my account is there, it, it gives the right message, I communicate with people, I message people, I hired Eva to help me with that because she, just, just wait and see. Like she used to be the person responsible for basically the every single office she could travel to in a couple of hours of Lush, which is a, one of the biggest cosmetic brands in the world. She was basically managing that because she was the most competent person in the company. She's insanely good. And just give her a couple of months on Twitter. She'll own the place. Like she, if, 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 if she becomes as good as, uh, as I think she will, I'll probably be working for her, but we'll see. (laughs) (laughs) So, so I, I have her on the team for that to, to even further that efforts and to start doing outbound using the social. Uh, then I am using my engineering skills. I will do advertisement. I'm learning about that. I'm setting things up. I'm bu- I'm currently building the offer. Today I spent most of the day building the first offer for paid ads. Mm. Besides that, I've already set up cold email marketing. This is warming up. So I have that as well. Then I'll automate the outreach on Twitter as well, or at least part of it. So I'll use every tool in my disposal to test all the different approaches and see wh- which one works for my business take the data in, analyze it, and then use what works and, you know, lean into what works more. And in general, because solving problems is one of the hardest skills to learn in business. And I think in life in general, because I'm not starting out as someone who just learned how to solve problems. I'm starting as someone who has been solving problems a lot. Mm -hmm. That means I... I don't feel I don't feel stressed about this. I just see this as a process. Like I am I'm another here. problem to I solve. I need to do those things, get the data, do those things, get the data, do those things. Right. Eventually it's going to work. 
yeah. and I do still have my job right now. I am I am probably two two months, maybe three months away from not needing it, but I still have it. So the the actual risk that I have for the business is non-existent. Mm. So I can do this and solve this problem in my pace. And once I solve it, once I have clients coming in, like everything else about the business is done. I already have someone who can execute the technical aspects for me. Someone that I told years ago on how to be an engineer. Someone that I already trust and trusts me. So that's done. I have a person who is a CEO who is going to help us with that part of the coaching and mentoring because this is hard stuff. And I've done some of it, but I'm not on that level yet. And I can get an expert who is even better. Right. I'm partnering with all the Twitter coaches so I can get the best possible experience for people who need on Twitter. And I know that I need partnerships because I've done it before. So <laughs> I, I, I'm starting out and I'm building those partnerships way before I need them. Like right. I'm not hitting a snack in the business and then figuring it out. I know it already. And I'm 100% sure that partnerships are one of the most powerful things I can make. So I'm already building like seven of them at the same time. That's awesome. In, in terms of sales and marketing, I, I think that oftentimes... People jump in, I don't want to characterize it as that. People begin a, a company or, you know, start their entrepreneurship journey based off of the fact that they have certain technical skills or they have, uh, it, it's that they, they do the thing and now they need to learn how to sell the thing is what I'm getting at, right? So I, I think this is a, an experience common to many. And so you know, you're talking about a process in order to be able to do that. What's working for you right now? Like what areas have you identified? Like, I really need to focus on this aspect in order to get the best return for my time. Okay. So first of all, I really, really relate with that. This is my first startup. We built it and we were waiting for people to come magically and download our game. <laughs> and they didn't. Shocking. So, uh, there, even though I resisted a lot, like it took me a year and a half after that startup failed for me to finally come to terms with the fact that I need to be marketing and talking to people. I didn't want to do that. Like my entire life, I was like, before that, I was like, nah, talking to people sucks. I just write <laughs> stuff on a computer and win. And technically as an engineer, it is possible, but so many other very interesting doors open as you start talking to people. So just I just couldn't resist the temptation of that. When it comes to marketing, I think the thing that made the most amount of effort, uh, the effort, the most amount, the biggest result, the, the biggest return on investment, let's be very <laughs> cold about it. But it, it was just making friends and helping people. Mm. Like, my handle on Twitter is here to help. Not because I I specially crafted it or something. I was just saying this so much. I was like, yeah, I'm here to help. Yeah, I'm here to help. And I was just helping people. I was never asking for anything in return. I'm still not. Like I, I am currently making a friend's website for free because I know that it's going to be helpful for their business. And I don't care. Like it's not about monetizing every second of time. It's about making friends. And if you have a strong circle of people who vouch for you and who want you to succeed, you're going to succeed. There, there is no way around it. And the way I build that is just by giving, like not, not really trying to ask for, for something all the time. 
if they're a client, if they want to work long term, if they want me to commit with deadlines and whatnot, sure, I, I, I want to be paid for that. That commitment is expensive. I can't be always on time, be always on call and be always ready for you if we're just friends. Like, sure. Maybe for some of my closest friends, for sure. But yeah, in general, I'm yeah. trying to keep some sort of a boundary and, you know, prioritize. But besides that, I don't mind helping anyone with anything. And I've done all kinds of weird things. A lot of them are super, e super easy, like setting up a domain for someone. It's like five minutes, it's 10 bucks. And then that person is like, wow, I have a domain now. This is amazing. And... Like even just for that feeling, for for me knowing that they they feel amazing by that, I'm I'm fine doing that. Yeah. Like I don't even ask them to pay me for the actual domain. I don't care. It's it's like ten bucks. It's fine. But you know, giving that to someone is rare. You you don't get to make someone you know super happy like that every single day. And in some cases, it's in most cases actually it is so much worth it. And to be fair, some of the people that I gave to the most. Some of them became clients, some of them became partners, some of them I'm sure will do the same when the time comes. Yeah. Yeah, I think the concept of surprise and delight is uh, not talked about enough among social interactions and networking with people. I like that. that I like putting it that way, surprise and delight. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> so that that whole philosophy of knowing what you have to double down on and, and like knowing your, your blind spots and your, your weak spots, I think is huge for people to be able to recognize. And, you know, like we're saying, oftentimes it's sales and marketing. So what sort of like tactical things tend to be working for you right now? Yeah. So first of all, to get to the state of knowing, because I came in very informed with a lot of experience, but I still didn't know a lot of things that I wanted to know and I needed to know to actually figure out what kind of business I wanted to make. The best strategy for that is talk to a lot of people. And we're kind of circling back to the beginning of this, which is talking to people is immensely valuable. But people are happy to share their issues. People are happy to rant about their issues. And you just have to listen. If you listen to enough people, you have a very good understanding of what kind of problems there are. And if you know the problems, then you probably know your skills. You can connect those two and figure out what you can do to help. And sometimes the solution is very obvious. For me, it was very obvious. It took me like three months to see it. Helping non-technical people as a very technical person is a massive value gap. This is, this is a no-brainer, which was very obvious, to, very obvious, but not to me. Mm. When it comes to tactical things, uh, and I'm mostly talking about uh, Twitter, because Twitter has been the game changer for me. It, it has been the place in which I managed to meet the most amount of like-minded people and learn the most in a very um, a short amount of time. And when it comes to Twitter, I think people underestimate the effort it takes to grow an account there. And I'll give you an example of how I've seen other people underestimate it and I'll, and I'll give the same example of how I found out that I am underestimating it <laughs> yesterday because I do think that there is always a lot, uh, always more to learn. So the biggest thing about social media is volume. You want people to see your message often and for you to make your message because you will probably not have a message starting out. I didn't have a message starting out. I, st I am still 
kind of considering it and building it for me to build my message it just took volume i had to do a lot of things a lot of times so initially you want to scale the volume of engagement engaging with other people makes friends friends give you problems problems give you a direction hmm. so engagement is good when i say to people hey you should engage more people start engaging by writing 10 comments a day hey that's perfect and that is fine. You can write 10 comments a day, but you are not going to grow by 1000 followers every single day if you're writing 10 comments. The results are proportional to your inputs. 10x the inputs, 10x the outputs. This is something from Hormozy that I heard and I really like. It's mm. super simple, but I really, really enjoy that. So the first step for most people who are starting on social media is just write a lot more comments. Op open up as many posts as you can that are interesting to you. You'll figure out what's interesting to your audience later. But open up the stuff that's interesting to you and comment under every single one of the posts. Then, then read through the comments and comment under the interesting comments. And then close that post and go to the next one and repeat that. In a day, in my typical day while I was going full on on Twitter, I was writing about 150 comments. Wow. And for most people, that's a lot. But then yesterday came. Sounds like it was a long time ago, but it wasn't because it was yesterday. <laughs> so yesterday, I was looking at the best creator I've seen on LinkedIn. His name is Jasmine. Amazing guy from Bosnia. Like insane. If you're not following him on LinkedIn, you go on LinkedIn and you follow him. He's one of the best copywriters I've ever seen. Hmm. So he mentioned in one of his posts that he is writing 500 to 1000 comments every single day. What? That broke my <laughs> mind. But it does make sense. If you really want to make this your way to get, gain new clients, increasing the effort more and more and more makes a lot of sense. And this is where I did where I made a mistake. Instead of like I, I pushed it up to 150. I can go higher than that, by all means. I actually tried going higher than that. I think my record is 700 comments in a day. So this is, this is my record. This is my highest number I've gotten to. So I know for a fact that I can go higher, but I don't because what I'm already doing is impressive. So that means I'm doing a good job, but that's wrong. If I want more results, I should do more things. And I thought that by just being impressive, that's enough, but that's a fallacy. Like I think that because if people like it, that means it's good. Sure. But what's, what's more important than, you know, people approving of you, of what you're doing is the results of what you're doing. Like right. you want to generate, like if it's the goal is to grow your business, you want this to translate to business growth. Yeah. And you want the objective very truth safely, of results. Exactly. And yeah. I can sa very safely bet that writing five times more comments will generate more business than not doing that. So it is something to think about. Yeah, that's, uh, that's, I mean, engagement and comments is, is, you know, typical advice, but doing it at that level, just with the idea of putting in the reps with the comments, I think is something that perhaps people don't think, uh, enough about. It's really cool. Yeah. Well, I did the same with threads. Like everyone I knew was doing one thread per week. That's the classic Twitter advice. Right. So I did one thread per day and I 
I actually didn't stop at one thread because when you're doing so many comments, uh, like you get so many ideas. I <laughs> I currently have a backlog of uh, 650-ish ideas that I want to go through, but right. I didn't have the time because there are so many. So uh, in certain days, I was writing more than one thread. I think my best was like five threads in a single day. Wow. And that very same approach of just doing more leveled up my writing massively. I've been right. writing for like seven years online and six years and nine months of them were pretty bad because <laughs> I was just writing in my own blog, in my own confined circle, sending this terrible, terrible newsletter. Like the newsletter used to be so bad. I was just sending it to, to tell people, hey, I did this thing, go watch it or go read it, <laughs> which is, I, I didn't even realize how stupid that was right uh lately i've been leveling that up massively and i do think now it's a worthwhile newsletter for someone to read right but before that i'm sorry to anyone who read that before 2013 it was bad sorry it takes a lot uh, of but, effort to get a boulder moving but once it starts then you you got something so yeah so yeah. uh but the thing is like writing more is leveling up your writing faster that's it and yes, once once you do your reps, once you do at least some reps, like once you write, let's say 200 threads, mm -hmm. then you slow down and put more effort into every single one. I think that this is a good, good kind of balance. Because if you're always writing one thread per day, you will get good. But I think the cap is lower than just spending a couple of days on something and really digging deeper. Mm -hmm. I would still keep it to a couple of days <clears throat> at most. Because that still gives you a reasonable time frame. Like an example that I can give uh, from my life is I wanted to write a, an article about breakfast. I don't like breakfast. And I decided to research all the different reasons why breakfast is bad. And I, like genuinely, if you like breakfast, eat breakfast. That doesn't matter. The point is I decided to research those and I started writing this article. To this day, I haven't finished it. It is, I think... 25,000 words currently. It is massive. It has 150 scientific papers in the references folder. It is a big pile of information that no sane person should read. That's why it's not published, because I don't believe that anyone should go through that pain. Uh, and it's a combination of me spending way too long on a single piece and the more I spent, the more time I spent, the more I doubted myself because it was like, yeah, but now I didn't add this reference. And now there, there is this new study that I didn't include. And now maybe I need to double check that old thing that I said. And the whole thing becomes super messy. And a big part of writing online is not being perfect. There, there, there are going to be typos. It's going to suck at some points. Your 90% of your hooks would be horrible, especially starting out. Mm -hmm. But the important part is not making this one piece of content great, but making 1000 pieces of content of which you have, you know, 50 that are amazing. And that right. is much more reliable in terms of executing. And at some point you, you made so many bad pieces of content that everyone, every one piece of content that you put out is kind of good. Right. And this is when, when instant successes happen. Like yeah. <laughs> uh, some of the fastest growing accounts are people with like 43 books behind their back and something like that. And then no wonder they grew super fast on Twitter because everything that came out of them in terms of writing was amazing. 
And yes, they had their learning curve and they did a lot of work, but still no, but they the, started the body level work was there. Yeah. Yeah. They yeah. they were already they they did the reps. Yeah. That's important. It is. Well, man, you you've shared a ton of great information here. So if we were to crystallize down to like three actionable tips that you'd want to leave people with, what would those be? Okay. I do remember the the ones I gave last time, but I'll I'll do different ones because I think that this conversation is has a different vibe. The first thing is do your best, no matter what circumstances you're in. Like using your circumstances not to do your best is a terrible, terrible thing. I did it. I had two years of my life in which I just slacked off because my company was not doing the right thing with me because they lied to me or some you know sort of bullshit like that. And that backfired. I lost a lot of good habits there. I had to rebuild myself. I went into depression afterwards. It was not a smart thing to do. And I thought that using someone else or something else as an excuse to not do what's best was good. It's not. Just do what you can do in every situation. The results will be better. And it's going to Like if the situation is bad, it's going to suck anyway. So... Why Might not as well do a good make job sure that your part is amazing? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, this is the sec the first thing. The second thing would be don't go in the in the direction that everyone tells you to tells you to. Like everyone is like, don't don't do a nine to five, be an entrepreneur. And everyone from the entrepreneurs is like, you need to use this one thing, and that's the key to success. Talk to people. Communication is more important than you know gurus and and you know super smart people that that have found their way and mm. they found their way and that their way might work for you but if you talk to people you're guaranteed to find a way that works for you and it might be better and the last one which i very genuinely struggle with because i'm a lazy guy <laughs> is volume very much so. Like I, mm. I fight myself every single day to sit down and work. And then I work for an hour and then I procrastinate for an hour. Not, what I'm currently doing is I'm just forcing myself to not do anything else. I'm like sitting, sitting like this and just thinking and, and you know, tapping my foot and, and waiting for time to pass so I can do something else. But I don't do something else. I'm just waiting and being annoyed at myself until <laughs> I, I'm so annoyed that I'm like, I'm going to work now. That's my choice. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yes, but but still, like volume volume makes for a massive difference. And the good news is, once you have leverage, you don't need to do as much volume. You can hire other hardworking people to do the volume for you. But if you want to get there, you need to do the volume first, or you need to have a very very rich uh, parent who just gives you like a. a few billion dollars so you can spend on random stuff and hopefully learn but unless you don't have that or if you're not from the, you know uh, from a great country then um, my suggestion is uh, get used to working a lot but once you go through that i think uh, things become so much better hey thanks so much for being a part of the show let's continue this conversation feel free to connect with me on twitter where i'm at craig shoemaker so go out and have an amazing day. I hope you get a chance to find someone to love, find someone to forgive, and find someone to encourage because we are most certainly not in this alone. And I'll see you again here soon on the Leverage 3 Podcast.